Show. Do you want to have some fun? Yeah, yeah. You want to learn something Happy too? Happy Monday, Washington, D.C. and around the country listening to the Uncle Devin Show on 1450 AM. And those listening on the News Talk 1450 app. It is a wonderful day and a blessing to be back with you again for another wonderful show as we talk about the wonderful works of children's music and beyond. Uh, Before I get into my wonderful guest today, let me just share with you that for those who have never tuned in before, this show is is dedicated to eradicating what I call music adultification. That's where we force our children to listen to inappropriate adult music instead of age-appropriate and culturally relevant music. Uh, So it's geared toward parents, teachers, and guardians to expose you or to help you understand how and why music and art is very important uh, in a child's development and what you can do to take back control of your children's music listening experience. Uh, And today's show is brought to you by I Am We Nation Radio. The first 24-7 online children's music radio station with the Urban Twist. Most children's music uh, pretty much focuses on the dominant culture, but here you're going to hear genres such as reggae, hip-hop, go-go, jazz, uh, you name it, but all again with an Urban Twist. Just tune in to IamWeNation.com. That's IamWeNation with two E's dot com for more uh, information. So we're going to have a wonderful show. Uh, Later on today, uh, I had the honor of interviewing the one and only and the legendary hip-hop icon, uh, Biz Marquis. And he's going to be coming up with you real soon. Um, uh, I'm going to have his show earlier. And we had actually a wonderful conversation. He couldn't be uh, on the show live, so we actually recorded it. And we're going to bring that recording to you uh, later on in the show. Uh, But first and and foremost, um, I am honored to have two young ladies in the studio with me who um, you will recognize and see real quickly that the work that they're doing uh, really is priceless, but yet needs even more and more support. Um, I'm honored to have Jamila Lawson, who's the executive director and co-founder of the Homeless Children's Playtime Project, along with Tor Burns, their curriculum and evaluation specialist. Uh, again, with uh, with the Homeless Children Playtime Project. Welcome to the Uncle Devin Show. Thank you so Thank much. You. It's oh, an honor to be here. And for those, if you want to join the conversation, because I'm telling you, this is going to be a, a wonderful topic. You can give us a call at 1-800-450-7876. That's 1-800-450-7876. And let me just start here. Uh, Jamila, I, I've known you the longest Um uh, I've done some work, uh, I guess it goes back to 2012 or 2013, but first of all, introduce yourself, tell the people a little bit about yourself. Um, are you a native of D.C. or, or if not, you know, where, 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 whereabouts are you from? So I come to D.C. from Wisconsin. I moved here 20 years ago to work for the Children's Defense Fund, which was my dream. I wanted to help lay, level the playing field for, for at-risk children in this country to mm-hmm. try to to do more that would impact them around the country. Okay. But I quickly learned that there are no children at the Children's Defense Fund. And then I discovered D.C. the city. There's yes. D.C., of course, the federal government, that landscape, and then real D.C. Mm-hmm. 
And so I read in the mid-90s there were children living at the CCNV shelter near mm. Union Station, and a child had discovered a dead woman's body in the bathroom. She mm. died of whooping cough. Mm. So I decided to just walk down to the shelter on my lunch break and check it out, and I really wasn't prepared for what I saw. Okay. Um, I saw half-dressed children languishing in the halls, rows of metal bunk beds, sheets for doors, not a single toy in sight. Mm. And I asked the woman giving me a tour, you know, this building is sandwiched in between Georgetown Law School, Department of Labor, you can see the Capitol Dome, mm-hmm. and these are the kids living closest to it. Mm-hmm. I asked them, doesn't anyone ever donate any toys, thinking I'd do a holiday toy drive? Mm-hmm. And the woman said, yeah, sometimes, but we keep them locked in a closet so the kids don't make a mess. Oh, wow. So that's when I learned it wasn't going to be enough to donate toys. We literally needed to donate ourselves and to advocate for child-friendly spaces. Mm-hmm. So we're just, we start out as an all-volunteer operation just trying to fill an immediate need. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until we really started getting in the shelters that we realized it wasn't just that shelter. It was most shelters really? in the city. Okay. Just really don't see children as individuals worthy of services and programs. And, and I'm going to cut you off there. I'm, you know, I'm experiencing that when it comes to music for children. When I even mention that that's what I do, a lot of people really have no clue on what that looks like. And be honest, don't, I don't want to mean, say they don't care. They don't know to care yeah. uh, about that. So you're talking about, so uh, like like the, the homeless population in DC, mm-hmm. what's the general homeless population in DC right now, would you say, or is, because uh, cause you focusing on the children mm-hmm. of homeless homelessness, yeah. So what most people don't realize is more than half of D.C.'s homeless population includes parents and their children. Wow. And so families are considered the hidden homeless because you don't see them on park benches. Right. Even though children, think about it, outnumber adults in the family shelter system. Mm -hmm. But it really is exactly what you're saying. People don't see them as as individuals that require their own um, separate set of intentional services and Mm -hmm. programs Mm -hmm. to help support their needs. Mm -hmm. So it's been really eye-opening for me. And I wish I could tell you that it's gotten better Mm -hmm. over the the 16 years I've been running Playtime. Mm -hmm. But it really hasn't gotten much better. So when did you start the Playtime Project? So in 2003, a bunch of volunteers and I just started going over to the CCNV shelter. We set up a room. We got on a schedule and started going there once a week, then twice a week. And then as um, that shelter for families closed, um, families moved to D.C. Village and then D.C. General. And we kept following the children wherever they went. Mm -hmm. And then we had private shelters reach out to us that wanted to um, bring playtime programming there. Mm -hmm. So we've been in more than 10 shelters over the past um, decade and a half. Mm -hmm. And now we're in four programs and getting ready to expand to a few more. Most of the families who experience homelessness in our city are now in the overflow shelter hotels mm-hmm. along New York Avenue. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're going to talk a little bit about the D.C. general shutdown in a, in a little bit. But so what's your mission? So our mission is to really support children's resilience. Mm-hmm. We know that all children are resilient, and there's a lot of tools and supports that all children deserve that not all children receive Mm -hmm. in order to become resilient. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do that by 
fostering um, free play and guided play that encourages creative problem-solving skills, that strengthens social-emotional skills, and through our field trips and special guest program, really foster a sense of optimism. Mm-hmm. And that's where you kind of came in when, mm-hmm. when we brought you, um, when we brought the Uncle Devin show into the depths of DC General mm-hmm. um, to perform for the children and have a little impromptu dance party right there in the shelter. Yeah. Um, really bringing, uh, enriching experiences to the children. Right. Well, I remember um, I was walking to the subway and one, uh, someone was passing out a newspaper uh, that supported the homeless. And uh, many asked for a donation, and I gave him a donation. I'm sitting on a train reading it, and that's when I first heard about the Playtime Project. So I immediately oh. called you all because I had no idea that it existed, and I never even thought about it, you know, before. Mm-hmm. So um, that was very, very important for me. And and from there, you know, I was coming. I guess I don't know if it was maybe once a month for a little while, um, and mm-hmm. it was just, you know, and, and at the time I was coming primarily to the DC General uh, Facility, mm-hmm. um, and so. That's where uh, that's uh, that, that was one of your main locations. At it one sure point. was. Okay. We were there for ten years. Okay, and so now you say that you had some of the different hotels, the, the shelter hotels that they have established. Yes, as DC General closed a year ago, um, and families have moved on to the hotels, and in the future to smaller ward-based shelters. We're mm-hmm. continuing to do our best to follow them wherever they go. Um, I don't know if you want to answer this or not. Do you think DC General needed to close? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I mean, I think um, best practice certainly is not consistent with a huge institutional yeah. warehouse of right. a shelter. Mm-hmm. But what I think a lot of people didn't see was what a strong sense of community exactly. the families created there. Exactly. It's almost like camping. Yes. Like people really help each other out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that same spirit of community doesn't exist in the in the hotels. Right. Um, where folks don't really have an opportunity to congregate or get to know each other. Right. So, and from our perspective, we lost a lot of beautiful programming space that we yes. had transformed in the lobby level of this former um, hospital into mm-hmm. really state-of-the-art children's program space serving infants through teens. Yeah. So the loss of that space really is not going to be able to be replicated in the smaller shelters. Yeah. And, you know, I, I D.C. General is always going to have a special place for mm-hmm. me. I was very active uh, in the fight to keep D.C. General Hospital open mm. before it closed. You know, and we worked, oh, wow. we had the D.C. Healthcare Coalition. Uh, we were holding mm. protests and demonstrations. Uh, and I know a lot of people are celebrating the Washington Nationals in the mm-hmm. World Series. But um, anyone that knows me, I decided, you know, the team has been here for, uh, since 2008 or however yeah. long it's been. I have yet to go to a game. Because I was frustrated with the fact mm. that they decided to take money that was going to a, a, the best hospital mm. to help trauma patients in the city um, to go to pay for a stadium. Now, I understand that it, it generates. People. Yeah, it, 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 not only it, 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 it definitely displaced people, but right now, 12 years later, there's no hospital anywhere east of the east of the capital. So people have to now go to other parts of the city to, you know, especially uh, women who are having babies and mm-hmm. all those types of things. And then to compound it, um, I understand that there was some situations going on at the D.C. General for the homeless families. Mm-hmm. But I still think that there's some things that could have been done with that. And um, so I, that's why I wanted to ask you your opinion on that. Now, Tori, you are the curriculum evaluation specialist. Yes. Talk a little bit about that. What do you do in that capacity? Um, so... 
For my job, I basically am a, you know, a child at work. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to determine what activities the children will enjoy best, what Mm -hmm. will work at program, um, and also seeing, evaluating if those activities are enjoyable for our children. So, of course, I'm dealing with things like slime and trying to figure (laughs) out um, what activities the children will just love Mm -hmm. and what's beneficial to them. We Mm -hmm. have three domains, which is problem-solving, social emotional learning and like Jamila mentioned optimism for the future mm-hmm. so i tried to align those activities with those those domains mm-hmm. to make sure that we're following through on our mission and making sure it's not just play but it's intentional play mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. well and i think that intentional play is important i mean from your experience what have you seen what has been some of the responses or the reaction from children who are homeless i don't know if i know i can't relate to being homeless. I mm-hmm. never have been. Mm-hmm. But to be a child and be homeless, do you see any issues or have they expressed any um, concerns about that? Do you see that may be different than cho- mm-hmm. children who come from stable homes? Definitely. Um, so um, I would say that you see the children know that their life may not be as best as it could possibly be. Okay. Um, we did a wishing wall one time mm-hmm. at program the children wrote on the post-it their wishes for the next year. And a lot of them made wishes like, I wish for my mom to get a home. Mm -hmm. A lot of the things that children shouldn't necessarily have to worry about, um, it's definitely on their mind. And you can see just because of the access that they have to technology and other means of getting information, whether it's via their peers or anything, they know that their life is a lot different than other children. Right. So they are able to make those inferences and realize that, okay, something's not right here. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's what we get a lot. And then you also have children who, you know, express anger about the situation that they're living in. Mm -hmm. And and then you also have those children that are hopeful, Mm -hmm. um, which is really great to see because we talk a lot about resilience and seeing children that are hopeful regardless of their situation is like beautiful and amazing and we try to like hone in on that with our activities especially with music (laughs) yes well i mean the importance of play and and i'm gonna you know um, come back and we're gonna talk a little bit about the actual name uh homeless Mm. children playtime project i think i know that that was very intentional um uh you know as we talk about that but then also when we come back we're gonna take a, a, a just a brief moment break but we want to talk about uh, uh relisha rudd uh that was uh, what year was that um oh, gracious that was five and a half years ago yeah wow has it been five years it sure has for those who don't know relisha rudd was uh made pretty much nationwide news uh, as a, uh, she went missing, um, but she has a relationship with the Playtime Project that we're going to talk about, and also with Uncle Devin. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back, and we'll talk a little bit about that. This is Uncle Devin on WOL fourteen fifty AM. Don't you go anywhere. Be right back. <laughs> That's right. Show. This is Uncle Devin. Come on. And you're listening Uncle to Uncle Devin's Radio Devin. 1 talk show, show here on WL 1450 AM. 
You know, I love this theme song for several reasons. Um, actually, I saw my nephew walking around in the hallway. Did I see him out there? He might stick his head in here. There he is. What's happening? Nephew Brian, DJ extraordinaire himself. But anyway, um, you know, I love that song. I was talking with my guitarist. If you hear the guitar on there, Roberto Tyson, uh, he laid that track down, uh, the guitar part, and I added the drums. And that song has really become a staple all over the place. But the most important thing is the Uncle Devin show is to uh, pretty much uh, it's an interactive musical experience for children that uses drums and percussion to cultivate their minds. And I know that's what I was doing, you know, working with you all. And bef I want to talk about the, the the intentional use of the word play mm -hmm. and playtime. How important is play for a child? Well, you know, play is really a child's work. And we know there's volumes of international research documenting the importance of play for every child. And what was really shocking to me as a social worker who, you know, trained in doing play therapy is how the children we serve are sometimes cut off yes. from that natural outlet that every child deserves. And it's even more important for kids who come from traumatizing situations mm -hmm. to restore a sense of normalcy yes. and give them something positive to focus on. Absolutely. I mean, every mammal that I know of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, play is the is the way that they become and they they, they use it for survival. Mm -hmm. It's how they learn communication, social skills. Yeah. Um, they learn their body. They learn their environment. And so, most of us. I mean, if you think about it, if you're homeless, you know, the question is where do you play? Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, or if you're you're constantly moving, and so you know, the fact that you all have created this place where they know and they can rely on mm -hmm. um, is very important. Um, how important, or uh, talk about the volunteers. How well, important, and, and do you need more volunteers? We definitely need more volunteers. Um, volunteers are a part of our core model. There's no way to do playtime without the volunteers. Um, we definitely appreciate volunteers of color so that they reflect back to the children that this is a possibility for mm -hmm. your life mm -hmm. um, because our volunteers come from all different backgrounds. Um, and the volunteers are very important to help to make sure that we're being intentional about the play that we're providing mm -hmm. um, and for them to teach the children how to build healthy relationships through play. Like you said, play yeah. is such an important aspect of our development. It teaches you how to socialize. That's it teaches right. you so much. If you go back in your, your best childhood memories with your siblings or if you didn't have any siblings, people in your neighborhood, mm -hmm. you always remember the things that you did while you were playing because right. those are those joyful moments that help you say, okay, yeah. even as adults, we still like to play. That's we right. play a little differently, right. but we remember those joys that we have and that goes back to that resiliency piece yeah. and back to how volunteers play such a major part because the volunteers are able to transfer their joy that they experience in playing with children to mm -hmm. the children mm -hmm. and the children see it as something that's tangible. I like to say tangible joy through play. Mm. So if someone wants to volunteer, what's the best way for them to reach you all? They should visit our website at playtimeproject.org, and there's a Get Involved tab where mm -hmm. you can learn about the, the procedure for coming to an info session to learn more about. What's great about our volunteer opportunities is they're all in the evening, so they tend yes. to um, accommodate most people's work schedules. They're mm -hmm. from 6.30 to 8.30 at four different sites around the city, and we're also expanding to another site in Ward 5 and mm -hmm. hopefully two more sites in Ward 7 and 8. Okay. So we're really hoping to draw on people from the community and as Tora mentioned, having volunteers of color is extremely important. Yeah. And especially, like, we m don't have a lot 
of male volunteers. So when we yeah. have a black man who our kids can see in a nurturing, playful role, mm-hmm. it is literally transformative. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. whole feel of the room changes. Yeah. And there's no other way for us to kind of replicate that magic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you can find out more information about um, our volunteer opportunities on our website, again, at playtimeproject.org. And that's what I did. I, I just volunteered, but I also volunteered in a way that I knew I could could help. And that's why I brought in the music. Mm-hmm. And you can call in and say, look, you know, you make a suggestion to say, you know, if you do art, if you mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. whatever your skill set is, just call and say, hey, listen, I want to be able to help. Yes. I want to challenge some of our fraternities, in particular and sororities, to get in contact with the Playtime Project uh, to volunteer. And you never know who you're going to run into uh, or who you or, or the lives that you're going to have. Because one of the young ladies that uh, I believe, I mean, that was a member of the Playtime Project was Relisha Rudd, who in 2014 was an eight year old African-American girl who went missing uh, in Washington, D.C. And, and to this day still has not been found. Uh, it made nationwide news. And I didn't realize I, I, I don't I can't say I remember her specifically, but I know she had been to some of the programs in which I was there. Talk a little bit about that whole experience about Relisha Rudd and um, what you, because you probably have more of an intimate relationship with many of the children, but definitely with her as well. So when Relisha Rudd was abducted in the end of March of 2014, it was absolutely devastating to our staff and volunteers who knew and worked with her family intimately because she had been in playtime for 18 months. Wow. So it okay. was traumatizing, I yeah. think, to everybody who knew her. And I think equally traumatizing as her um, loss was the systemic neglect and <clears throat> the fact that the city tended to blame the parent mm-hmm. instead of really do some soul searching and say, yeah. look, the, the safety net, there's a reason we have a safety net. The safety mm-hmm. net failed her. Yes. And yes. I think her the circumstances surrounding her abduction really show that her life didn't matter to mm. the systems charged with her protection. Mm. And I think it's really important that we um, don't forget that. Yes. And when she was living at D.C. General, there were 600 children there. Wow. They were, is that really? Absolutely. Wow. It was at a, its peak occupancy. Mm. And we had been fighting for a playground to build a playground right out front That's for right. years. Because there were kids that. throwing blocks in the yeah. street. They didn't have anything to play. And the families were desperate to get out of their cramped rooms. So, of yeah. course, the front porch was right yeah. out front, this, That's right. this terrible shelter. And the city wouldn't let us build a playground. It was only thanks to Relisha that... Mm it kind of forced the city's hand Yeah, that they needed to kind of acknowledge, okay, there are children here. You Mm -hmm. can build a playground, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they wouldn't have done that without her, um, the tragedy of her loss. Well, if you want to join the conversation, you can give us a call at 1-800-450-7876. You're listening to Jamila Lawson, executive director and co-founder of the a homeless Children Playtime Project, along with Tora Burns, the Curriculum and Evaluation Specialist. Um, and for those, uh, stay tuned. Um, uh, a little bit later on, we're going to air my interview with the one and only uh, Biz Marquis coming up to uh, coming up very shortly. But um, but yeah, that that experience. I mean, it, it was uh, you know for me, 
to to be connected at that time uh you all had had me come back and there was some candlelight visuals yes. that we, we participated in um i got a chance to meet a lot of people in the community and that really did touch a lot of people in dc when she went missing Absolutely. And you wrote an original song for her that you well, <laughs> performed at her candlelight vigil. Well, I can't say I wrote the song. Actually, the song, uh, there was another children's artist that I saw online that wrote a song called um, uh, A Candle's Burning. Yes. Mm. And so I redid the song mm. and then I connected that, of course, to this little light of mine at the end of that. So I, um, oh, wow. But that song was it's such a beautiful song and I did a video for it. As well, which you can go to the Uncle Devin Show uh, YouTube page, and um, and you'll see a video, and you'll see pictures of of, of uh, Relisha as well. Mm. Um, and I know that you know that I don't think that that case will ever leave anyone's mind. I know, you know, of course, the authorities will say they're still looking and trying to find everything. Do, are, are, is there any still communication with the mother or? Um, Periodically, off and on, and we've had some anniversary vigils as well, and mm. sometimes media out outlets reach out to us and want to connect with her yeah um but you're absolutely right um when we've done flyering in the mm -hmm. neighborhood it's amazing just how much she touches people's mm -hmm. hearts mm -hmm. and like you said people are never going to forget her yeah yeah that that's something else so so i guess Tori, let me ask you this in terms of uh, now is is playtime project a non-profit and if so can people uh, make contributions Playtime Project is definitely a non-profit <laughs> <laughs> people can definitely make contributions mm -hmm. um we do we this is our busy season right now okay. um we so every year we give the children their own halloween costume that they mm -hmm. specifically ask us for so if someone wants to be a spider-man they are definitely going to be spider-man mm -hmm. um we also do our holiday wish list where we give the children mm -hmm. gifts um for the holidays we also take financial donations yes yes <laughs> you can definitely look on our website at playtimeproject.org and there will be a donate tab for you to click on and that will be the best way to donate okay now you have some plans for expansion yes okay we do um so we're going to be moving to an additional domestic violence shelter called my sister's place in january okay so we know that children who have experienced domestic violence have definitely experienced trauma and we want to bring the transformative outlet of play to them so we're super excited about that and then we're looking at the Ward 7 and Ward 8 um, short-term family housing sites that were built to replace D.C. General. Mm -hmm. um, so we're trying to negotiate with them right now. Okay, and okay. And really hoping that we can find some space to bring playtime there. I have a uh, good friend that's in Cleveland that sent a message through Facebook uh, mm -hmm. that I want to ask. And uh, she says, can you speak to the McKinney-Vento Act for Children? Who are experiencing homelessness does this organization advocate for children and then i guess do you advocate for uh, uh advocate for children in schools that is an outstanding question yes the mckinney vento act is a nationwide law yeah. that removes barriers to children experiencing homelessness to get the education they deserve mm -hmm. so in every single school um, public and charter throughout the united states there's supposed to be a homeless liaison who is supposed to keep their eyes open for kids who are homeless to make sure that they don't miss out on um, uh, school transferring uh, requirements and field trips and all of that. I'm going to ask you to put a pin in it right there. We're going to come right back and continue with that question. Okay, I have to take good. another quick break. Um, and so we can continue to talk. You're listening uh, to the Uncle Devin Show on WOL 1450 AM. And we're going to be right back. Don't go anywhere. 
Love those drums. That's what I am a drum cushionist, a children's drum cushionist. And you're listening to Uncle Devin's show here on WL 1450 AM, where we focus on the importance that music and art plays on a child's development and what you can do to take back control of your children's music listening experience. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, today's show is brought to you by I Am We Nation. Dot com. That's the first 24-7 online children's music radio station with the Urban Twist. If you're having pro- problems trying to figure out what you have your children listening to, and you don't want them listening to your music, you know, we don't want them listening to some odd music. We want them listening to something that is relevant to them and is age-appropriate. Go to imwenation.com where you hear music from many multiple different genres, from hip-hop, go-go, uh, jazz, pop, you name it. Uh, that's I am we nation.com. I am we nation with two e's.com. Um, if today's show, uh, you, you, I'm, I'm honored to be able to have in studio with me uh, Jamila Larson and also Tori Burns. Uh, Jamila is the executive director and co founder, and Tora, Tora is the curriculum and evaluation specialist for uh, the Homeless Children Playtime Project. And we're just having a wonderful conversation about what the work that they actually do and uh, the fact that they can use volunteers and support. And when we left, uh, I had to interrupt uh, uh, Jamila for a moment, but the question on the floor was about the McKinney-Vento Act and also what work you do uh, to advocate for children in schools. So I cut you off and let you go ahead and continue. Sure. So, yes, we've noticed a lot of gaps that our kids have with regards to accessing their education. So we raised private funds to hire a full-time social worker So our social worker is able to see some of the needs and challenges that our kids are are displaying in the playrooms Mm -hmm. and also talk to the parents about some of those needs that they have and actually go to the schools. Mm. Maybe they need uh, IEPs need to be updated. Maybe Mm -hmm. they need school uniforms, developmental assessments. Um, We have success plans that we call them in the playroom for kids who need a little bit extra support. And Mm -hmm. so we're able to liaise with the homeless liaisons in the school. Um, and again, just tighten the safety net around yeah, there. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you mentioned it. I, I've told my wife, I, I shared with her a song that came to my mind over the last couple of weeks that dealt with uh, really sexual violence against children. Mm. Um, and I did some research and realized that many times parents don't have the conversations um, early with children, mm. even just simple things as letting them know the, the parts of their body, the names absolutely. of their body. Yeah. And so I had, a, I, you know, I, I created a song. Uh, I haven't recorded it yet, but um, I'm going to be, uh, it's on my heart to, to move forward mm. with it. And some may consider it controversial, um, but it's nothing more controversial than mm. what was happening with yeah, our children definitely. out here. Mm. And, uh, and so, sure. I, you know, I, I will certainly uh, consult with you all as I continue uh, to, to, to work with that. And so, and again, you had mentioned, uh, the McKinney Vento Act. Um, and, and I had not, I'm not familiar with that. So Carletta, mm-hmm. thank you for, um, mm-hmm. um, for, for asking about that. And for those who are listening, uh, just stay tuned before, sh- uh, within just a short moment, I'm gonna run my, I'm gonna air my interview with the one and only Biz Marquis, uh, where he talked about the wonderful work that he's been doing on, uh, Nickelodeon and a lot of other sh- stations and, his direct connection to D.C. We're going to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that in just a moment. So talk to me now in terms of um, volunteers. About how many volunteers will you, mm-hmm. do you have right now, would you say? 150. Yeah, wow. we're, we're over. Okay. We're, 
And that number is a really good number, but we will always like more. Okay, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and to go back to when you talked about the sexual violence really yes. quickly, mm-hmm. um, there's a training that you can do in D.C. called mm-hmm. Safe Shores, um, and it talks about how to discuss sex with your children, especially young children, because a lot of times we teach young children different Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. names for their body parts, and Mm -hmm. that's not helpful when something actually does happen to them. That's right. So I think you making that song is right on target. Well, thank you. Well, you know, the the, the term uh, adultification, Mm -hmm. um, um, I I first heard that term from a, a Georgetown University study. Mm. That talked about um, and and really they used it to to discuss how particularly black girls are viewed as more mature Mm -hmm. um, and sexually sexual active than non-black girls and how that impacts their grades um, and everything else in in society. And so I I hope that even part of what I do can help adults understand that we have to look at children As for children. who they are. Yeah. They're children. Absolutely. And protect Absolutely. their childhood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. and, and you know, that really came up during the uh, R. Kelly um, when it really blew up mm. and people were talking about, you know, the 13, 14, well, this, she shouldn't have put herself in that situation. Mm-hmm. And we're like, they're wow. children. Yeah. They're young people. They, yeah. you know, and, and their, their, their minds, they're, they haven't developed mm-hmm. enough to be able to make those type of proper decisions. decisions. Yeah, absolutely. That safety net need to be there to yeah. be able to protect them. And um, so I, I really appreciate the work that, that you all, um, you know, do in that regard, because that, that's very important. So um, what type of uh, connections or support do you get at all from the city itself? Or what type of work do you get mm-hmm. from from the city, if I may ask? <laughs> <laughs> and well, they laugh. you know, the, the city is definitely one of our partners. Yes. But to give you a quick example, example of how challenging this is sometimes mm-hmm. they um, contract with these um, overflow shelter hotels Partners. to become uh, temporary shelters but there isn't uh, services or programs for children in those sites either and even though the McKinney Vento um, legislation mandates transportation barriers should be addressed by each school district it's a transportation desert along New York Avenue. Mm. We have kids sometimes go take three buses in 90 minutes just to get to school one That's way. Right. Yeah. So we've really tried to sound the alarm with the city saying, hey, you put families here. You need to make sure they can get to school. Mm-hmm. Because exactly. when we had focus groups with our parents, after housing, that was the number two issue that the parents were concerned about. How do they get their kids to school? Transportation. Mm-hmm. So we are hopeful that the city is close to a solution. But we really, because we don't take public funds, we see ourselves as advocates first and foremost to the mm-hmm. children, trying to encourage the city to do the right thing mm-hmm. and to make sure that these kids are getting the basics that they need to be successful. Yeah. Are there any particular council members that are more supportive than others, if I may ask? Um, and, and I like to sometimes. highlight those who are the most supportive versus talking about those who aren't. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we haven't worked closely with council members um, okay. since the um, the playground that we were finally able to build. And yes. actually, I will say Mary Che was the one yes. who wrote a bill requiring the city build a playground wherever the homeless children's playtime project oh, wanted it built. So that was great. And Mary Che actually weighed in about this transportation issue. Did the bill well. pass? It did. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Fortunately. And and now the playground is there, but now it's being surrounded by luxury condos. Oh, built wow. up in its place. I just yeah. drove by the campus yesterday. It's, it's wow. very strange. And then see. I'm sure you have those living in the luxury apartments complaining that children are out there making noise. Mm. I mean, it's just the normal things that come around, with, you know, with... When you have that type right. of um, activity, but um, 
Yeah, uh, it, it gets exhausting kind of fighting for the basics of what children need. But I think one thing we'd like to raise money for in our strategic plan next year is a full-time advocacy coordinator yes. that can really help develop those relationships with city leaders exactly. to throw our weight around a little bit. Right, absolutely. And to help empower our families to advocate for themselves. Wow. So, again, if someone wants to reach out to you and um, connect with you in any way, what's the best mm-hmm. way for them to do that? Yes. So I think our new uh, and approved website yeah, has a lot of great resources yes. at playtime.org. Um, and then you have our contact information that's on, on the website as well. Mm-hmm. And one creative things that some people are doing to, to help support our expansion is gifting their birthday to play. So, you know, okay. the older you get, the less stuff you need. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it's folks that set up pages on their social media to say, hey, support my in honor of my birthday, yeah. I want to help some kids out at the Playtime Project. Absolutely. So there are lots of creative ways to get involved. Well, that's great. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've had a number of people. I had the retro jumpers. Um, oh, we love them. Yeah, because yeah. I figured y'all they had worked with them before. They came out to us, and they are just awesome. Yes. I mean, there's so many people doing so many wonderful things. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just a shame that when it comes to children and when it comes to uh, these types of things that help, um, you know, this, it just seems like the resources and the support is, is scarce, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and, we, and we can change that. We need mm-hmm. the churches. We need the, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, the schools. We need the fraternities, sororities. We need all mm-hmm. of everybody in the community to, to the village to, yeah, to play we their need part. The village, absolutely. Yeah, it, it really yeah. is, you know, and um, and so and I didn't ask you. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, um, Tora. Yes. How long have you been working with the project and what got you involved? So I used to be an educator. Okay. Um, that means you still are an educator. Yeah, you just may I not am. be in the school system. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've been with Playtime Project for a little over two years now. Okay. Um, and just I think my best work is when I work with children um, because I always remember, you know, their humanity yes. and how important that is. And, you know, I think the onus is on us as we age to make sure that the next generation is prepared for what's ahead of them mm-hmm. and over-prepared. Um, and I think that play has a big factor in that. Oh, yeah. So I went from the classroom to full-on recess, <laughs> as I like to tell people. So. The classroom to the playroom. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I had another question uh, Carla asked also, um, what, are the po- what are your policy wish lists for children and families experiencing homelessness? Do you have a policy oh, wow. wish list? That's an amazing question. Well, I think amazing first question. and foremost, of course, we all know DC is not serious about low-income housing. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. last I heard, the housing wage is something like thirty-six, thirty-seven dollars yeah. an hour. Yes. Yeah. And you know what family who mm-hmm. hasn't um, graduated from high school can't read? Yes is able to earn that yeah. kind of wage. Right. Um, so we need a vast stock in the billions of dollars mm-hmm. in low-income housing to um, stymie the gentrification that's really um, transforming our city mm-hmm. and making it increasingly impossible for low-income families to live. Mm-hmm. So that's first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And Tora, feel free to jump Can in. Can you ask the question again? Yeah, in, in <laughs> terms of um, what are your policy wish lists mm-hmm. for children and families experiencing homelessness? You know, are they, you know, uh, yeah. I, I mean, it should be a human right I, I, for every child to have a home. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think every child to have a home, mm-hmm. um, access to a quality education mm-hmm. and equitable mm-hmm. education. Um, I think also that whenever these shelters are mm-hmm. built, um, if a family finds themselves in an emergency situation, that they're 
in the contract that the city makes with these partners that there's some a clause for children yes. that will maintain these shelters and make it a safe space for mm-hmm. those children. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, I think a policy is that, you know, there's a bridge between the shelter and the school mm-hmm. so that there's we have a full-service experience mm-hmm. where because these children, we like to call them ACEs, so adverse childhood experiences, because the children are going through ACEs, there's a, a basically a village and a community mm-hmm. that's mandated by the city that keeps in, not, it's not just school, it's school and home and also service for the parents. Mm-hmm. Because what a lot of people don't realize is just because you're homeless doesn't mean that the parents are working. A That's lot right. of our parents are working. I thought homeless. I saw a stat once. Yeah. Almost half of all homeless uh, adults work full time or work, at least, you know, they, they work. So it doesn't necessarily mean mm-hmm. they're not working. People mm-hmm. have this misperception mm-hmm. about the homelessness and, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the city. And uh, it's really, really ridiculous. So I, I, mm-hmm. I really appreciate again the work that you all did and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to not only um, volunteer when I did but also to have you on the air Mm. so that more people can know what you're doing Um, and don't get discouraged I know it's hard sometimes Mm. um, you know um, but the you don't you may not ever know the seeds that Mm. you're planting uh, with the children yeah. who are going to be sitting here mm. years from now fighting for these, you know, these the same things. So, mm. again, give your contact information on how people can reach you. Yes, um, playtimeproject.org, 202-329-4481, playtimeproject.org. Yep. Okay. And Tori, I didn't ask you, where, where are you from? Are you from the D.C. area? Did you no, grow up? No, I've been here for a long time. I've been here going on my 13th year. Okay. I came here for school, but I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Oh, Detroit. I'm a Detroiter. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Midwest. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to thank the thank both of you all for coming thank in. You, thank um, you. Thank you so much. Our, our relationship is going to continue. Um, and if there's anything I can ever do, even with the radio station, just let me know, and I'll be glad to um, be of any assistance. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you so much You're for having to you. So and, important work. And to you all, I want you to stay tuned. When we come back after the break, I'm going to share with you my interview with the legendary hip-hop artist, Biz Marquis. It was absolutely a joy to talk to him about his work, his positive demeanor as a hip-hop artist. He, you'll, if you ever listen to his music, uh, it, it was just fun music. It was mm-hmm. a time when music was was fun. It was light. It wasn't just gangster. It wasn't you know cursing and all of that. But he's also going to talk about his direct connection to DC, particularly the DC go go music. Mm-hmm. So we're going to we're going to take a break in just a minute. You're listening to Uncle Devin's show on WOL fourteen fifty AM. And also, if you miss the show, you can always go to the Uncle Show dot com. Uh, and check out my podcast. Uh, you can check out all the podcasts there. If you go to UncleDevinShow.com uh, and then you click on podcast, you can check all our, our previous uh, episodes out. Uh, so don't you go anywhere. In just a few minutes, we're going to bring you my interview with the one and only Biz Marquis. Stay tuned. All right. Welcome back to Uncle Devin's show here on WOL 1450 AM 95.9. Well, I'm sorry. We're no more. We're no more 95.9. I forgot about that. That's the uh, sports talk. It's still part of the Radio 1 family, but uh, we're here on 1450 AM. 
I had the honor of interviewing on last Monday uh, the one and only legendary hip hop icon Biz Marquis. He couldn't uh, come on the sh- on the on the air here directly, but we had a wonderful interview. And so right now, I want to share with you um, uh, my interview with uh, Biz Marquis, and then we'll come right back. Uh, this is uh, the one and only Biz Marquis. Okay, you're listening to Uncle Devin's show here on WOL, 1450 AM, and I am honored to have the wonderful uh, hip-hop legend himself, Biz Marquis. Welcome to the Uncle Devin show. What's up, Uncle? What's up, Uncle? <laughs> hey, you know, I, 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 one, I had to have you on for a number of different reasons. Uh, my show focuses on the importance that m- music plays in a child's development. Now, I know that you are a legend, that, uh, you know, you've been 30 years in hip-hop, I know that um, your your song "Just a Friend" uh, made VH1's list of 100 greatest hip hop songs of all time, but I also want to talk a little bit about the work you've done uh, on Nick Jr.'s show and also um, some of the children's related stuff. Can you talk a little bit about your experience on Nick Jr.'s "Yo Gabba Gabba"? Well, me and two other guys, Christian and Scott, we developed a show called "Yo Gabba Gabba," and you know. I didn't like what was on TV, whether it's BET and all that, and kids is watching stuff like that. So I, I came up, we came up with a kid show. You know what I mean? Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know you was one of the creators of it. I, I wasn't sure if you just was on there. Okay, so and I, I'm I'm honored to hear that. So and you were doing um, at that time. Not only were you creating it, but you did the business beats of the day. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. Oh, okay, man. I, that's a that's an honor. That's that's wonderful work. What was your experience like with working with children, and what was the reception that you received across the nation and, and the world with that? Well, I always would. I'm always great with kids. That's why they call me like a professional babysitter because I know <laughs> I know how a kid thinks and I know how a kid moves. Yeah, and I know how to uplift the kid when he's down. So you know, I'm always been great with kids. Oh, wonderful. What was your um, musical influences when you were a child growing up that led you into becoming the hip-hop phenom that you are? Well, my pops was a saxophone player, and he played in a lot of jazz clubs. But besides that, um, I liked the the Michael Jacksons in the beginning, but then when hip-hop started in like 76, 77, that was it. (laughs) Right. Right. I like nobody else but like the L Brothers, uh-huh. Uh, Fast and the Furious Four, uh, Breakout, and and groups like that. And mm-hmm. you know, then when records came out, like uh, uh-huh. Rappers Delight. Yes, I didn't. I, I liked it, the tapes more than I liked it, the records. Okay, so, yeah, I can see that. The, the cassettes was the real street music. Right, a record was just a record. You know what I mean? Right. So then, from your experience, and and and, and I love to talk about that origin of hip hop because. At the beginning, really, it was about storytelling, which anybody can relate to, even children. Talk about some of the pioneers that you remember listening to who had some stories. Of course, some of the stories may have been, um, uh, you know, for an older crowd, but even some some that had influences on you when you grew up. Well, it wasn't about the stories that had the influence. Okay. It was just about it was just about the 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 person, the people on the mic. Okay. And the DJ, okay. well, well, how a DJ can cut records, yeah. and how a DJ can mix. That's what was my uh, influence. Okay, yeah, and I can see that. Um, now, you a DJ yourself, is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, uh, now you grew up, uh, I know that you uh, grew, you were from Harlem, but you grew up in Long, in Long Island. 
Long Island. Okay, yeah. yeah. And um and from what I remember, um you began your journey beatboxing um throughout the hearts of, of hip hop lovers and all of that through you know, all over the place. Um talk a little bit about how and why children relate uh, uh, very keenly to you doing beatboxing because that I, I love your vi- your videos uh, of the beats of the day and it seems like it's just a natural way to, to, to connect with children well it's something that kids even though even though I can do it great a kid can always use his mouth it's, it's, a, it's a body part it's just like mm-hmm. Bobby McFerrin hitting on his thing a kid this is like if you know if you play with a kid and you shake his hand too fast or whatever. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything that's natural, a kid loves. Right, that's right. And even even if it's a superhero or something, mm-hmm. they know that they can try to get to that point. Mm-hmm. So with me doing a beatbox and I'm doing it with my mouth and I'm doing it simple enough for them to do it, it's something catchy and then they can play with it. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, I see. I see. Wow. So now with your work with uh, Sharknado 2, I believe you were either in that or a part of that. Talk a little bit about that. I was in it. I was uh, I was a pizza. I was a, a pizza shop owner. Okay. And, and so they, they they asked me that I want to be in it. I said, what? Sharknado? Hey, I want to be in Sharknado. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one thing, Biz, I really appreciate is, um, you know, um, I think it was um, – what comedian was that that used to talk about happy rap? <laughs> I forgot which one it was. Um, Bernie Mac, I think it was. But I, I, I love the fact that when people think of biz, they they automatically start smiling. They 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 don't think of this hardcore. Um, even though you you know hardcore in terms of your delivery, don't get me wrong. But in terms of just you know this 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 culture of um, just gangster, you you represent and symbolize a, a very happy time. I I would say in a very progressive time in in hip hop. Um, and it seemed like it was a natural progression for you to go into the children's music. Um, now you've done some other work with SpongeBob SquarePants as well. Uh, what was that about? Yeah, I, I, I was I, I, I was filming. Uh, I was doing Yo Gabba Gabba, and and uh, and the uh, uh, creator came up to me and said, "Yo, you want to be on SpongeBob?" I said, "Hell yeah!" <laughs> I used to watch SpongeBob myself. I'm like a little kid myself, anyway. Yeah. Oh. Well, you know what? To me, if we don't honor the kid in each one of us, then I think we're really doing ourselves a disservice. Because, and that's what I what what I do here. I'm a drummer, and you know, here in D.C., um, and and I've just dedicated my art form to creating children's music. I'm called I'm known as the children's drum cushionist, and and I pattern myself after the work you know people like yourself are, are doing to try to really elevate it. But let me ask you this: in the black community, do you think that there's enough, or do we need more? music dedicated to children do you see that it's um do you see it as a problem as some some may see i think that i think that we just do music but it don't have to be no uh it don't have to be no curses right exactly yeah it don't have to be derogatory just use your skill that's what i did when i did my records like well it was me well it was big daddy king mm-hmm. well it was rock king Mm-hmm. It wasn't about being hard and killing and this and that. Mm-hmm. We were just making records. We were just trying to see the best rhymes that we could think of. What What do you have coming up? I'm here to do my own radio show. Oh, really? I'm I can't. Uh, I'm doing. I'm doing it on Sirius XM. I'm just trying to come up with the title right now. Oh, wonderful! Okay, and what's the what's the, um, the is it going to be hip hop driven? Is it talk show? What, what's the format? 
it's going to be stories and hip hop. You know, I, you know, I got a million stories. I've been with everybody. <laughs> you know, this, I, I'm loving. I, I watch my wife and I watch a lot of YouTube and and just watching people's stories. I know the comedy stories and the background stories are, is important. But to have people like yourself to have such a rich history and can share that with us um, is great. Yeah, so, I got a whole bunch of stories. <laughs> Where are you from? Uh, DC. I'm born and raised here in DC. Yeah. yeah, I got my cousins with Essence, white boy. Oh, that's your cousin? Oh, now I see the connection. Okay. Yeah, well, see, that I, all that sound is what I grew up on. That's why my, my tagline is, I'm a, you know, the Uncle Devin Show is an interactive musical experience for children that use drums and percussion, a dynamic cross between D.C.'s Trouble Funk and Schoolhouse Rock. But I can't exclude Rare Essence and, and, and EU and the rest of them that are there. So, and rest in peace, Chuck Brown, Little yes, Benny. Yes, Butch. yes. Oh. Well, talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. I mean, what, what from your perspective, what's the connection between Go-Go and hip-hop um, going back to when you when you started? First of all, Go-Go, they had breaks. Whether it's, mm-hmm. like the first break we cut, Go-Go-wise, was Bustin' Loose. Right. Right. Then another good record was Body Moves that we used to cut. And another record, the most, two most, um, beyond that, you had EU Freeze and you had Pump Me Up and you had Let's Get Small. Them are important records. Yes. Yes. In hip hop. When I'm talking about important, that's why if somebody talking, I'm like, yo, that was an important record. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, I want I mentioned Trouble Funk. That was absolutely one of my uh all the groups I grew up around, but Trouble Funk, I followed them a lot and I knew when they first signed on the Sugar Hill label back uh, in the I think the early late 70s or early 80s and and then start seeing right. Sugar Hill came out in 79. 79. Yeah, 79, exactly. Um and then start seeing what, you know, how people were sampling them from KRS-One and 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 all of that and um so we, I know you say you were in the 90s and the 80s. Okay. Okay. Early, late eighties. Okay, but like did, did the African African Mambada and them do a lot of mixing with? I think they did a lot of cut ups with um a lot of the DC bands Hell as well. Yeah, <laughs> they're the ones that they're the ones that started it. You right. Crazy Bam, <laughs> Islam, and Jazzy J and Red Alert. Yeah. That's it. All right. Yeah, well, that's part of my interview. We'll try to finish up next week. We're running out of time. But let me just say that when he mentioned a lot of the DC Go-Go bands, he may have mentioned uh, White Boy. Um, That's actually the name of one of the founders and lead guitars for the group Rare Essence. And guess what? He he ain't white either. (laughs) That was just his nickname. But uh, it was great to have Biz Markey. Uh, You can go to bizmarkey.com. Um, to find more, uh, to, to learn more about him. Uh, he's still performing in and around the area. But again, I want to thank uh, the, the Homeless Children Playtime Project for being here. I want to thank Biz Markey for taking time to, uh, to interview. And I want to thank you for uh, listening to the Uncle Devin Show. Make sure you pass this along because this is one of the first times we've had a children's show, I mean, a show focusing on the importance of music in the child's development. Thank you for listening in. This is Uncle Devin. You can find me at theuncledevinshow.com. And remember... Life is a drum, so beat it. Thank you, Jasmine.